Wow, I love that last song. It's got such a such an old school vibe with a new school flavor. I'm so grateful for the worship team. I hope you took the time to really like get your eyes off of your distractions and focus on Jesus. I love that about worship. I need worship. I hope that was a meaningful time for you and your heart connecting with your God and and I just want, we're going to jump into the Peace Thief message, but I just want to take one minute to say, you all are awesome, and God is awesomer. I don't care if you don't think awesomer is a word, it's my word. What an amazing thing just happened at Grace Free Church. I cannot rush past it. You see, we have this campaign running to launch Grace Free Westside, Grace Tremont. We're going to launch a location in Tremont, Pennsylvania, for Tremont and all the surrounding communities, Minersville, Higgins, all of those areas, connecting us to, to the west side of the county, reaching an, another 15,000 people who aren't connected with the church. We launched this compa- campaign so that we could raise the money to acquire a property for our additional location and the equipment and everything we need to launch this. And uh, this spring, we launched phase one of that, which was to raise $42,000 in 60 days. And I was sweating it from the beginning. My prayers were like, God, we need you to show up big time. I'm planning in my head that God's going to show up big time. I never doubted for a second, but I thought it'd be like in the last week or the last like five days, like we're counting it down, expecting God to do something big, but he always surprises me. And we raised $42,000. God blessed us with $42,000 in 37 days. We had like 23 days left in the campaign. We didn't even need. You all are amazing. There's nothing like watching God blow past our expectations, and he has used you to do that. Through your generosity to this campaign, we are going to be one church meeting in multiple services, in multiple locations, and reaching all kinds of people. The growth in 2021 of Grace Free Church is going to be epic, and it's because of you. Thank you. God is so good, and you are so amazing, and I'm so glad we're in this together. I just wanted to celebrate a minute. Like, let's just celebrate that a minute. Is there any question that God is doing some absolute incredible things through Grace Free Church? Is there any question that God is using you, a part of this amazing community, to do really big things? Man, I cannot wait. The best for Grace Free Church, the best for you, is yet to come, and it's going to be epic. We're jumping into this message. It's a peace thief message, and the title is called, When It's Good, It's All Good. We're talking about the peace thief of relational conflict, something you and I, we all have to deal with from time to time. Let's pray and we'll get right into it. Dear God, we thank you for this opportunity to kind of like take our eyes off of our distractions and look to you. We have all kinds of things running in our lives, different distractions, different struggles, each of us, we, we carry our own junk into this place in this moment, but what we really need is you. We need you to, to show us yourself, to teach us through your word. We need your spirit to move in our hearts, to, to break down our walls, to encourage those who are 
are exhausted, to, to let your presence be known to those who feel alone, and that's what we're asking you to do right now. Overwhelm us with your love. Overwhelm us with, with who you are. Help us to practically live out differently tomorrow than we did yesterday because of the hope we have in you. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's talk about re relational conflict. Nobody likes to talk about relational conflict. It, most of the time, we start talking about relational conflict when we absolutely have to. We wait until the last moment, most of us, the, 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 the desperate moment to decide that we, we can't avoid it anymore, we can't cover it up anymore, we can't wash it away anymore, we just got to deal with this relational conflict that we have let go on in our lives that, come on, you know it's true, brings everything else down. You ever hear the saying, when mom's mad, <laughs> when mom's not happy, no one's happy? I mean, that's a true statement, but it's so much broader than that. You see, the thing about relational conflict is it adds conflict into every part of our lives. So a whole lot of dudes come home from work uh, mad at their boss or a client or a coworker, and not processing that well. Who do you think it gets taken out on? The kids, your wife, the stress just spills over. Think about relational conflict. You can experience it in any relationship. I think the, the bigger and the more important the relationship is to you, the greater the spill out of the mess from conflict. A client gives you some conflict. You can kind of blow that off. But your boss and you are in relationship conflict, the bigger it is, the more it spills out. You and a child are in conflict, guess what? The bigger the impact. You and your spouse are in conflict, the bigger the impact. It's not that big of a deal when you're having conflict with the person at the drive-thru, right? But it's a really big deal when you're having conflict at home. The thing about relational conflict, though, is it's impossible to just contain. And yet, we constantly try to avoid dealing with it. So it just ushers in a mess. My, my coach in high school, his name was Rob. He was like one of the godfathers of soccer in this county. I had the privilege of playing for Rob in high school, and I had the privilege of coaching alongside Rob after I came back from college as an assistant coach for 16 years. Great man, very important to me, and he was wise. He knew that the spillover from relational conflict can affect everything around it. it. It can make a mess of a team. And so my, my best friend and I, we were captains of our soccer team my senior year. And we were like, man, like oil and water sometimes. We loved each other, would fight for each other, were there for each other, but at the same time, like we... When, when it was bad, it was bad, and it spilled over into the rest of the team. So you can understand the difficulty when Rob sees us as, as co-captains. When it was good, it was great. But when, when my buddy and I were fighting, when we were in conflict, when things weren't going good, it affected 
everybody. I remember one practice. It was boiling over. We were just sick of each other. And I got taken out of gold to play field in this drill. And he was playing in the field. And somehow we ended up against each other on these teams playing small-sided like practice game. And uh, he, he was taking me off. So I just did what, what you do in a soccer game when someone's taking you off. Like I took him out. Like I just took him out. He gets up. He tries to slide tackle me. He gets up. Next thing you know, we're pushing each other and the entire team is gathered around as two captains, two supposed leaders of the team in the middle of a season on our way to a championship are now fighting with each other in the middle of a practice. My coach, Rob, he he attends here. He's probably watching right now. He'll remember this fondly. Pulled out a move. I don't know if you could do it nowadays, but back then it was a brilliant move because he knew that relational conflict spills over. When it's bad, it makes everything bad. When it's good, it makes everything all good. And so Rob blew the whistle, yelled at us, got our attention, grabbed our focus, and said, you guys are going to walk around this soccer field while we continue practice holding hands until you can get over whatever it is that you have. Can you imagine? Like, it's embarrassing to think about these next moments of my life. There I am, grown man in my own mind. My best friend who I want to punch in the face right now. Pardon me, not endorsing. I didn't punch. I just wanted to, right? Like, and we're holding hands, walking around a soccer field. What it did in front of everybody is it forced us to deal with the relational conflict. It forced us to deal with what was really going on. It forced us to talk about it. It snapped our attention and our hearts, and it gave us the time and space to get what we needed to get right, to stop the spillover mess, to, to, to realize that when it's good, it's all good. And if he can get the captain's good, then the team's going to be good. If, if my buddy and I could get good on a relational level, the whole team was going to come behind us and be good. And it worked. I don't know if you could do it today. There's some parents right now who are thinking like, I gotta, I'm going to have my kids hold hands and walk around the island until they figure it out. I don't know if it's going to work today, but it worked that day. It's an important lesson. When it's good, it's all good. When it's good at home, it doesn't matter what circumstances you face, it's all good. When it's good at work, you know, like the spillover stops. The thing about relational conflicts is we got to stop avoiding them. We just got to figure out a new and better way to deal with them. Now, it's harder. The more pressure you face, the harder it is, which is why this season for us in this country, which is why this 2020 has been so contentious relationally. You got people who aren't even going to like share Thanksgiving meal together with their family because of politics. You got people who are like not talking to each other anymore the, the pre- because they disagree on some issue somewhere. 
It's not who they are. It's not their identity. It's not their faith. It's just some issue. The, the greater the pressure, the tougher it is for relational conflict, the messier it gets. So guess what? It's not a mistake that we're talking about this this Sunday with a contentious, high-pressure election coming up. All kinds of crazy talk about this election coming up. It's not a mistake that we're talking about this right now. It's not a mistake that this peace thief has probably been robbing you of peace over the last couple of months. Relational conflict. If you don't have it now, you're going to have it soon or in the near future. We got to know how to walk through it. I think to deal with relational conflict, it's not really a matter of relational priorities. It's, it's, a, it's a matter of relational problem priorities. You see, that's where we really struggle with getting through relational conflict. We want to talk about the things that we don't really need to talk about that aren't really going to make a difference. Somebody say, you got to get your relational problems into priority. If you're going to move from relational conflict to health, if you're going to go from it's a mess to it's all good, you got to get your relational problems into the right priorities. And your relational problems... Doesn't matter who they're with, your boss, that the neighbor with the other party's political sign you're like starting a, a yard sign war with over political parties, your, your spouse, your kids, your parents, whoever your relational conflict is with, you need to know this, in the realm of relational problem priorities, your heart, not their heart, is the first problem. I know that's like, trust me, it may be difficult to hear this, but, but it's, it's the way to experience peace in your relationships. We, we got to stop looking at them and being like, it's, it's their problem. They're the ones who are wrong. Maybe but that's not the first problem priority we got to look at if we're going to move from conflict to peace, from relational mess to relational health. If we're going to go from it's terrible to it's all good. You see, the problem, it's not their problem. It's your problem. It's not something they have to fix. It's something you have to fix. It's not... It's not an action problem before it's a heart problem. The, it, when we look at relational conflict, relational problem priorities, the first problem priority, I realize that you, some of you are in some terrible relationships and there are definitely some actions that some people around you need to fix. There are definitely some ways they are treating you that are not right. But, but to move you from relational conflict to peace, where you can say, it's all good, the first problem priority is your heart. It's where you got to start to deal with what you're going through. And the fix from your, for your heart, it's not a fix you can muster up on your own. It's not a fix you can, you can get to by 
by instilling a certain amount of will into your life. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be better. I'm gonna, that's great. I'm glad you want to be better. But unless you fix your heart, your be better efforts are just going to end up being the same. That's why relationships go in the same cycle over and over again. Come on, somebody's like nudging a spouse because you have the same you have the same conversation every six months or every three months. I'm not judging. I've been, we, we all have been there. Like, you wonder why it's so, so much of a cycle? It's because your efforts to be better, they just end up being the same. Your good intentions get drowned out over time and pressure and conflict. The key to experiencing real change it's fixing your heart. And you can't do it on your own. It's a fix that starts with God. It's a fix that starts with God getting your attention, owning your heart, and shifting your time. It's, a, it's an important thing. Maybe you don't believe me. Maybe you don't feel me. You're like, oh, it's such a Sunday school answer. The, the issue with my relationships is Jesus. I just need a little more. Jesus. Maybe you're not buying it. Maybe you're like, I don't, seems so simple, such a churchy answer, such a Sunday school answer. If you know what Sunday school is or was back, back, back in the day. Like, I don't know, but maybe you're not buying it. But what if, what if you're going to deal with betrayal, but you could know that someone will never walk out on you? What if you're gonna what if you what if you're gonna deal with relational betrayal, but you know that you're secure no matter what? What if you're gonna deal with your own personal insecurities that are highlighted by your relationships, but you can know through faith that that you are secure in who God made you? What if you're gonna deal with your own failures or the failures of others in relationships, but you know that you come back to and experience grace in your heart? What if you what if you have trust issues, but you are learning that someone is faithful to you even when you are unfaithful to them? What, what, if, you got all, what if you feel weak, but, but you could know that in your weakness, you could be strong through God? What, what if you feel ignored, but yet you realize that even when you are ignored, God still hears your cries? What if you feel lonely, but you could realize that even when you feel lonely, God's still with you. His presence is still close to you. You see, we blow it off as an easy answer. But if God has your heart, man, when you go through those relational conflict issues that cut you down and have you deal with all kinds of those painful, painful things, when you when you can still experience God having your heart, it makes, it makes everything, everything manageable or better. Or, man, so, so if you're dealing with feeling betrayed, feeling lonely, feeling insecure because of your relationships, if you're dealing with feeling ignored, if you're dealing with feeling unloved, the fix is not found in a relationship with 
another person. The fix is realizing that God can provide the needs of your heart on such a deep, deep level that even when you feel betrayed by someone else, you know that you are secure in God. That even when you feel lonely because somebody left you, you know that you are not alone. That even when you feel discouraged, you know that God is with you and he will show you a new day. That when you have trust, like, come on. The fix starts with your heart. A Peter had to deal with this. You know, in Acts chapter, Peter, one of Jesus' disciples and, you know, key figure in the early church, Peter had to deal with this in Acts chapter 10. The book of Acts tells the story of the early church. It's such a powerful, powerful story. And the church at this time in its early history was full of contentious stuff. I don't know if you know that. Like, people are always telling me how bad the churches right now. Everybody wants to tell me, like, not our church, but church in general. Oh, it's ever, there's so much division. There's so much, there's so much fighting. There's so much going on. Like, there's so much uh, contention about the politics or these issues that we're dealing with this year. There's, you know, the church can't even get on the right page. The church is missing their moment. And, and to some extent, I get all that. And yeah, it's all true. But it's not our first rodeo. Like, do you realize that the church has been through much worse than this? It's been through much more division than this, much more. You see, it wasn't just like two parties back in this day at the early start of the church. It was all kinds. You had the, the Jewish part of the church. They looked down on everybody else and wouldn't be around those unclean people. You had the Gentiles who looked at the Jewish people and their arrogance and didn't want to have anything to do with them. You had the, the, the slaves and the freed slaves who were fighting with each other, all of these kinds of groups, the Samaritans who were like a mix between the Jewish and the Gentiles and discarded by everybody, like people wouldn't even go in their town. Like it was a contentious time full of division. Peter is, the church is being born out of insane amounts of division and relational conflict. Peter is, in Acts chapter 10, it tells a story of Peter getting this vision. Peter is a Jewish person and Cornelius is a Gentile person, part of the Roman guard, but a guy who loved God and was following God and the Gentiles were yet to be even included in the church, even though Jesus had ministered to the Gentiles and gone to the Gentiles already. And Cornelius is praying one day, and in his prayers, God speaks to him and says, you need to go send for this guy named Peter, the, the disciple Peter. At the same time, Peter, he's like up on the roof going up there to pray, and he's hungry, and he's praying while the meal's getting ready and waiting for that, and he has a vision that God lays on him, where God's sending him down all of these animals and all of these things that were unclean to his culture. They're saying, eat these. And Peter's like, I'll never eat those. I've never eaten anything unclean. And God says, don't call something unclean that I have called clean. Like, Peter gets up and he's like, whoa, that was intense. I don't know, I'll unpack that later. Next thing you know, there's a knock on the door. These Gentiles are there. They're like, hey, Cornelius is calling for you. You need to go see him. God tells him, like, go see him. Peter gets up, and he goes to this house, and he gets there, and he walks in. Peter enters the house, it says, in verse 20, 
25. And listen to his first words as he gets in there. They're found in 27 of chapter 10 in Acts. He says, he goes inside and there's a large gathering of people, Gentiles. I wonder if he paused outside the door. He had, it was unclean for him in his mind and his past experience for him to step into the house of a Gentile. He had probably never done it. I mean, talk about issues. He goes in and he says, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate or visit with a Gentile. What kind of jacked up law is that? Even more so, what kind of jacked up welcome speech? Not like, hi, good to see you. Let's, let's get to know each other. Like, what's going on here? I'm not quite sure why I'm here. Like, he leads with, I, I shouldn't even be here. I didn't want to come. Like, it gets worse. He says, but God had shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Like, oh, I would have called you unclean like five minutes ago, but God told me not to. Like, I, I think you're unclean and unpure, but God told me not to say that out loud. <laughs> what kind of speech is this? So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection, even though, you read between the lines, even though I wanted to. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius tells this, why he sent for him, that he's praying, and, and what God was telling him. And then Peter goes on to preach the gospel to him. And at the end of the gospel, God pours out his Holy Spirit in front of Peter onto this group of Gentiles in this room. And Peter's mind is blown because he is watching God move in what he thinks is an unclean people. He's watching God follow his, his, his words with action, letting his presence be known in this place that Peter didn't think his presence would be known in. You're looking at some relationships. And maybe you think, God can't be in this because they're a Democrat or a Republican. <laughs> or, or God can't fix this marriage because look at this mess we've made it into. Like, it's such a, it's such a heaping pile of garbage. Like, I can't, it's such a mess. Why, God can't fix it. But if God can get your attention, like he got Peter's attention, if he has your heart, like he had Peter's broken and bitter and jacked up heart, and if you let God shift your time, first to him and then to others, he can move any relationship from conflict to peace, from its mess to it's all good. See, what it took for Peter, the problem wasn't Cornelius, it wasn't the Gentiles, it wasn't the other people, it wasn't that they were unclean or different. The problem was in Peter's heart. And what God did was he touched Peter's heart and told him, like, you think they're different, you think they're gone, you think they're unclean, you think, but they're made in my image. You better go over there and spend some time with your soon-to-be brother and 
sisters. It's an amazing thing that makes me ask, where, where's my attention? If my attention's all on politics, like, no wonder. If, if I'm, my attention is just absorbed by whatever news funnel I want to get sucked into, no wonder there's so much relational conflict in my life. If my attention is just on Facebook and stacking what I have with everybody, comparing it to what everybody else's life, if my attention is on social media, I'm just watching videos and looking at photos and I'm comparing my relationships to the perfect picture every other relationship is presenting, even though that picture is far from the truth, no wonder I'm in relational conflict. I'm comparing something real to something fake. The fake has my attention. What has my attention? And who has my heart? And where's my time being spent? You see, the first relationship problem priority is my heart. And the fix is having God get my attention, hold my heart, and shift my time to where he wants it to be. If you don't know where he wants it to be, it was with him first. And second, it was with the people he was moving Peter to reach. You know, it was bigger, way bigger than Cornelius. It was way bigger than that. It was about God changing Peter's heart and in doing so, changing the entire direction of the new church. You see, Relational conflict is contagious, and so is relational health. Both of those things are contagious. Peter would go from, Peter would go from Acts chapter 10 to Acts chapter 15, a very big meeting where Paul, who was God's messenger to the Galatians, would run out there and he, they would be in conflict with the early disciples in the early church and the, the Judaizers were in that mix and you had all these people who were saying the Gentiles, well, they can be part of the church, but they have to jump through all of these different hoops and they're, they're like second-class citizens or at least that's how they were treating them within the early church. And you have this argument going back and forth in Acts chapter 15 and eventually Peter just shuts up the entire crowd they're, they're arguing, and after much discussion, you see, Peter was waiting until the right moment. That's a, that's a good move. Wait until the right moment. Let everybody else talk. And then he stands up to address them. He says, brothers, some of you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. And the crowd fell silent. You see, it was way bigger than Peter. Relational conflict is contagious, but so is relational health. Peter having his heart fixed, right, spilled over, and changed the entire course of the early church. And out of great division came great unity. And out of dark times, 
great hope came that changed the entire course of the world. In your relationships, the conflict that you feel, it's contagious. Doesn't matter what relationship it births out of, work relationship, friend relationship, problems with your besties, problems at home, relational conflict is contagious. And as much as we want to avoid it, sweep it under the rug, hide it with some kind of new fresh relationship, drown it out with some kind of substance until you deal with the real problem, the The contagious conflict will spill over into other relationships or new relationships. But when God has your heart and your attention and your time, he can can bring healing to it. He can shift your heart and change your relationships. And healthy relationships are contagious too. It's bigger. It's bigger than the issue you're in right now. God will use bringing relational conflict to relational health to change the entire future of your life and relationships. It's contagious. There's practical help that gets busted out throughout the rest of the New Testament. I just want to highlight one one verse before we leave because I think this is really practical. Take some notes, pull your pen out. Like this week, no matter what happens in the election coming up, no matter What happens at Thanksgiving dinner, no matter what happens with the rest of this pandemic, like this is really important for us to remember as God's people. We have a lot of different people that are in God's family. You may not like it, but there's there's people that vote way differently than you that are still a Christian. Don't you dare question somebody's salvation because they see an issue different than you. I know there's big foundational issues and some of them you think are way unclean. Just like Peter, just like Peter thought the Gentiles were way unclean. I'm not going to that house. But don't ever call something unclean that God has called clean. And those people who are voting way differently than you, they're image bearers of God. doesn't matter whether you like it or not. And we do not get to question someone's salvation or the legitimacy of their relationship with God over issues. Romans 14. Anyway, here's a verse I think is really important and practical. In a church, by the way, that's full of diversity and division, just like First Corinthians, 2 Corinthians church, right? We, we got different people. They sit next to you. You all worship together. The same king You have the same Jesus who saved you, and you have very different stances on a lot of issues, and it's okay. Here's practical help that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth to help them deal with their their difficulties. He ends the chapter 13 by saying this, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. He says that in the midst of conflict. He says that over and over again in Scripture in the midst of very difficult circumstances. Check out the whole book of Philippians. That's what it's all about. Rejoice. You have reason to rejoice. doesn't matter if the election goes your way or not. You have reason to rejoice because of Christ. You see, Paul's reason to rejoice was always rooted his joy was always based in a relationship that was right, his relationship with God. When your relationship with God is good, it's all good. But then he gives them some practical help. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. 
be, be of one mind and live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. You want to experience the God of peace in your life? You want uh, to taste his presence like it's palpable? You want to be experiencing his love and peace? Here's four things. The goal is not winning. The goal is not even agreement. The goal is full restoration with others. It's, it means this. It means being jointed or knit together perfectly. That perfect is in some of your translations. And what that tells us is like you're never done working to grow and repair and restore relationships. You're never done. Keep working. It's always a work in progress. Your goal is not winning the fight. Your goal is not getting everybody to agree. Your goal is restoration. Number two, the message is encouragement. The words we speak, the, the actions that speak louder than our words should be encouragement to one another. Be an encouragement. Be an encouragement. It's not debate. It's not arguing. It's not taking jabs or shots at somebody. The message should always be encouragement. The mind, the mind should be unity. We don't agree on everything. We can find a lot to disagree on. But ultimately, we agree on one thing together, that there is hope to be found in Christ, his death and resurrection. It's what knits the early church together, even though they disagree on so much. How to do that? Have the mind of Christ, Philippians 2, 5 through 8. And the last thing is to live in peace. Practically, live in peace with others. And the presence of God. His love and his peace will permeate your relationships. And when it's good, it'll be all good. Let's pray. To God, thank you for this challenging word. It's something that I struggle to live out sometimes, but I want to focus on this. I want you to have my attention. I want you to have, have my heart. I want you to have my time as it comes to my relationships. Help me to get my heart right first before I try to get my relationships right. And help me to, to get focused in on you so that no matter what happens, no matter whether I like it, my goal is to restore relationships, encourage one another, and live at peace with those you draw into my life. I ask you for the strength to do it during these challenging times. In Jesus' name, amen.